This is Power Players with Dan Clark. This is a podcast interview with Grammy Award-winning singer, arranger, conductor, and composer Tom Baller. Welcome to Power Players with Dan Clark, former athlete, Hall of Fame speaker, New York Times bestselling author, and high-performance business coach, where each week I bring you an inspiring message from an extraordinary human being who will share their secrets on how you can tap into your personal power to become everything you were born to be. Thanks for spending some time with me today. In this episode, my friend and colleague Tom Baller, best known for writing the hit song, She's Out of My Life, recorded by Michael Jackson, and for being the associate producer with Quincy Jones on We Are the World, and for producing the music for the Miss USA, Miss Teen USA, and Miss Universe pageants, shares his life of extreme creativity, having worked with Frank Sinatra, Billy Joel, B.J. Thomas, Neil Diamond, Sonny and Cher, David Cassidy, Jan and Dean, Michael Jackson, and being the background vocalist for the television series Partridge Family Recordings throughout the 1970s, giving us the inside glimpse into the life of a superstar who has sung, produced, and arranged hundreds of worldwide hits. Thomas created vocal arrangements for the landmark charity event called We Are the World, teaming up with Quincy Jones, who I've had the opportunity to meet several times because we have a mutual friend in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, yeah. And and to see (laughs) that you have worked with Barbara Streisand, Billy Joel, in the motion picture version of The Wiz. And Thomas Baylor has served as musical director for a number of events sponsored by the White House, including America's Millennium, Points of Light, and President Clinton's inaugural concert. Mr. Thomas Baylor, as I shared with him off, off camera, off set, if you will, he says, I can, you can call me Tom, Tommy, Thomas. I said, I better settle in on your majesty. And as a songwriter, you got to understand, Mr. Baylor, that I would write a song about you, but I don't know what rhymes with stud muffin hunk of burning love. <laughs> He's even... He's even served as musical director and arranger for the Kennedy Center Honors. My favorite of all was Led Zeppelin because I'm a classic rocker. Jace mm. Thomas, I've been a guest on Adam Carolla's show, and his co-host at the time was Danny uh, Bonaducci. <laughs> and with your connection with the Partridge family, For some unknown reason, that actually excited me as much as you writing. She's out of my life. (laughs) So let's just start our interview right at the beginning. How did you find yourself and your famous brother? How did you find your passion in the world of music slash high-level entertainment? Uh, I grew up around it. My father used to play... Uh, Jack Baylor was his name. He used to play in the studios in the 30s. And um, he was a trumpet player, also a cellist. And uh, so we had music in our home. My mom was from West Virginia. Um, She couldn't read a note of music, but boy, could she sing it. And dad always said that my mom was the most musical person in our family. So I was around music all the time. My mom used to sing Tour Allure Allure to me when I was a little you know uh, yeah you know like two and three years old no matter where i was in the house she would sit 
that she was a tiny thing. She was, it was a child's rocker that my grandmother had given to us, you know, and my mom could sit in that and she would sing tour allure allure wherever I was in the house. I'd come running in and jump in her lap. It was a safe place. Music was always pleasant and wonderful. And, and, um, and because my dad was in it, you know, we had a lot. And then we, by the time we, my brother and I came along, he had actually stopped playing for a living and uh, bought a record store, or created, opened a record store and also had a jukebox found. So we had music and records around us all the time. So I think part of it is the fact that, and I, my mom went to church um, Tuesday nights, Friday nights, Sunday morning and Sunday nights. And I was with her. And we went to a church called the Sky Pilot Revival Center, which had about a hundred voice black choir. My mom was the first white soprano in the group. And it was led by Doris Akers, who is now in the Smithsonian Institute. And yeah, so, I mean, I feel so, uh, I avoid the word blessed because it somehow separates some things, but I just feel very fortunate to have grown up around all of these things. And my dad was a great philosopher and my mom was a great woman. And um, she used to tell me, Tommy, when you notice something nice about someone, even if they're a complete stranger, tell them you will make their day. And I did that later on in my career with Henry Ford II. You know, I'm gonna end up, this is the thing that I learned when I was three, all of a sudden. So you talk about the timeless issue, Absolutely. you know, I think, and everything that you described earlier for me was you were talking about humanity. You were talking about the different aspects of humanity. And, and I, what I love about humanity with what's going on with the COVID-19 thing is that we are adjusting. Now we'll bitch and moan. Yeah, that's what we do as humans too. You know, we complain, why does it have to change? I don't want to change. But we do it when we know it's good for us and we know it's good for others, we do it. And actually I'm in music because I'm, I love human beings and I like to, and I found that I had a talent for music and it was a way to serve others through something that I enjoyed doing. And through what your mother taught you, God bless her, that if you see someone doing something, tell them. So, you know, Trisha Irwood sings the song Remembers When. Let's just dive right into the formula for writing a song, which seems to be the most universal language on the planet as we've traveled. But the, the best way to communicate with someone in an emotionally connecting way. So teach us a little bit about how you transposed what your sweet mother taught you, what you experienced going to church, experienced in your home, experienced from your dad and how that actually prepared you to be a hit songwriter where you can actually edit so every word pays its own way and say what you want to say in the shortest amount of words, the shortest amount of melody in a three-minute and 40-second song. Teach us about that process. Well, I can relate it to you. I can certainly relate it to you. And, and it's one word, listen. My dad always said, my feelings are my best barometer. When I follow them, 
everything works out when I don't follow them because they're there anyway, <laughs> then, then I end up regretting it, you know? So when I grew up being around music all the time, one day I heard a melody and I was maybe four years old. I said, dad, I hear a melody. And he said, I have a suggestion. What? Write it down. And so I learned how to read and write music before I learned how to read and write English, not because my father wanted me to, because I had a curiosity for it, you know, and my dad fed that. My dad in 45 years never once told me what to do, but he was present. He was there. And, and I couldn't ask too many questions, which I can't say for anybody else in my family. They used to go, Oh, Tommy, not another one, you know, but my dad, Anyway, so my dad was my hero, if you can't tell, you know. So so he said, I suggest you write it down. I said, good idea. So I grab a pencil. I start writing. I said, Dad, oh, wow. I'm hearing the same melody, but it's two ways. It's like different. And I don't know which one to choose. And he said, do you need to make a choice now? I suggest you write them both down. I love it. So that's the way I learned to write. And then dad, with all the music in our family, like I said, we own a music store. We have a jukebox route with 54 different spots, my dad called them, you know? <laughs> so we were around music all the time. And then we played classical music at home as well as opera. We, we, we just loved it all, gospel and country. And, um, but growing up in that environment, Dad encouraged me to listen. And when you feel something, you know, I grew up learning that if I I call my intuition, my connection to God, my connect, it, those are all labels. So call it what you want, you know. But it's the same energy, and we all know that. And and when and but she doesn't. And, and by the way, to me, she's a female because women give birth. And that's where, to me, ideas and concepts are birthed. So when uh, all I need to do is say yes. And the cool thing is when I'm not, now this is when I first met Quincy Jones. You're going to love this, Ken. When I first met, we hadn't talked 10 minutes. I said, hey, Q, do you wake up in the middle of the night with tunes going through? He said, all the time. And I said, do you write them down? He said, hell yeah. Otherwise, they'll go to Mancini's house. <laughs> So and good. and please feel free to he's one of the most quotable men since FDR for me. He is he he speaks, you know, he talks all the time. He, I mean he's the most generous spirit I know. And and he was speaking at um a university and he always takes questions. And this young woman stood up and said, But Mr. Jones, how do I keep from being discouraged? This business is so hard. And he said, my dear, if you can be discouraged, you should be discouraged. Wow. Now, that was not a pretty thing to say, but it was true. Isn't it the truth? Oh, yes. Is that a beautiful thing? Oh, if you can't. And it kind of takes me back to Henry Ford where he says, whether you can or whether you can't, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So let's dive into to, to listening and to the songwriting process and related to the, the average Joe and Jill on the street who isn't a hit songwriter, but the process has to be the same. Do you focus on a story or do you focus in on writing a hook? 
how do you how do you take this con this concept of what you want to say to someone, what you want to say to the world, and then consolidate it into a message? How do you do that? Because that would help entrepreneurs, it would help the sales process, it would help spouses, it would help anyone anyone who wants to finely tune our communication ability. There's a magic that you have to share. Well, it it's like having children. Every one of them is different. Um, when I wrote She's Out of My Life, I was coming home from a, another vacuous date, which, by the way, wasn't a woman's fault. It was my fault, but it was a vacuous date because I was still in love with somebody that I said no to. Wow. And she was gone. And you ever been so frustrated and so uh, agitated that you start talking to yourself out loud? Oh, yeah. Well, I was on the Pasadena freeway and I said, hey, man, look, she loved you. She wanted to marry you. You're the guy that said no. Now deal with it. She's out of your life. Now, as soon as I said those words, it was like a drunken cowboy kicking down the doors of a saloon. It came in melody and lyric. She's out of my life. She's out of my life. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. I don't know whether to live or die. And it cuts like a knife. She's out. I mean, this came in like this. And normally when this happens, because like I say, every song that I write, every story that I write, every book that I write starts sometimes as a surprise. It's never the same twice until they're like having children, you know? And, you know, my daughter said after two children, she, she said to her husband, no more babies are going through this body. You know? <laughs> and he said, okay, cool. You know, and then three months later, she was pregnant. And I said, well, what happened to your uh, declaration? She said, God had a different idea. You know? <laughs> so you go with, to me, it's a left brain and right brain thing. But normally for me, I just wrote something that I'm very excited about. And, and, um, and it has, Anyway, it's a broad thing like We Are the World, and it's an anthem. And so I read a book that inspired me. And so once I'm inspired, I let it soak. I just said, okay, I'm inspired. So I'm opening myself up to listen because my right brain speaks to me in feelings. She's never said a word to me, but she smiles, you know, but, but I get you know, I get the feeling and then it, it, it kind of grows out of my heart. Then there's my left brain who knows everything that I know, but doesn't have a clue about what's going to happen next because that's not its job. Its job is to protect me and to warn me. I remember when I decided to write my first novel, I made the declaration to myself, well, I'm going to write a novel because I had, I had created this musical and there was too much story. And I was having difficulty, you know, doing a wine reduction. And a, and a writer friend of mine said, write a, write, a, write a novel. And I said, but I've never written a novel. And he said, Tom, there was a time when you had not written a song. And I went, oh, oh. So I declared I was going to write a novel. And my left brain actually attacked me. What are you doing? You're a fool. Look at what you've done in the music business. Look at how well you're doing. Now you want to start something new at your age. Are you crazy? You're going to embarrass yourself. You're going to be, you know, and all the things. And, and for the first time, Dan, I had an epiphany because normally I realize that I'm the king. My left brain works for me. So does my right. They'll go away if I don't want them to. 
this one, the left brain will be pissed off, but this one, this one will be, you know, she goes, yeah, yeah, it goes, she'll go to Mancini's house. So if, so there's what, what comes in is, is I say yes to it. I mean, I, I wrote a book about this, too, because it's about my family experiences and our family philosophy. And I, I loved your three Ps, you know, those, those, it's great to have a handle of something you can pull down. I have a formula, which is declare what you want, be a good host, declare you're taking action, and trust like a tea kettle. Oh, wow. Wow. How did you come up with that? Because I was raised with it. My grandmother was... What a woman, my dad's mom. She was widowed at 26, and she was beautiful. His, her husband got um, one of those diseases now that we take a shot for. You know what I mean? It was a fever, something fever. And, um, and here she was, 26 years old, and they lived in a little town, Willow Springs, Missouri. And uh, my grandfather was a, a postal inspector. And my grand, my grandmother stayed at home and played the piano and kept house and cooked and was mother to my dad. And at 26, you know, her husband dies, and wow. and she's faced with. Well, the other thing is she was beautiful. Interestingly, she said her friends in the neighborhood didn't invite her over for dinner. Hmm. Not that she would have been in any, you know, not that nothing. But it was, she said, she, what, to her, it wasn't a complaint. It was an observation that women protect their nests. Uh, wow. You know? This and I'm like, of course they didn't. Yeah, you're way too hot. <laughs> you know? exactly. And yet, she'd go have coffee with her at a coffee shop somewhere. You know? I I mean, but not in my home, babe. No, I, get I get it. And so I was raised to that kind of philosophy. And, and when I said, how did you feel when grandpa died? And she said, oh, honey. I, why me? I'm a good wife. I'm a good mother. It's not fair. And she said, and the hole kept getting deeper. And finally, she said, I guess the good Lord planted in this, planted this in my, but I, I asked the question, what do I want? Hmm. And it took me out of the pity party and put me in a place of possibility. And I said, well, tell me more. She said, well, I said, what do I want? And the, the answer was, I want my husband back, obvious. And then now I'm in, a, in an interior dialogue with myself. And, and myself says, well, that's not going to happen. What else do you want? Well, I want to stay home with my son like I've done all the whole time. And the, and the self comes back and says, well, that's a possibility. you know. What are you yeah. going to do about it? And she thought, I like numbers. And she took a correspondence course and became an accountant. Wow. Like you do an online course today. Absolutely. So she was a doer. Mm -hmm. And then this formula kind of grew out of that because my dad was infected by it, you know. Absolutely. My, she had it. My, and I remember when I was, she was visiting and, and, uh, oh, I was about four or five years old and, and I was frustrated and I loved it. My dad or mom would never ask me what's wrong. They'd say, are you okay? You know, yeah. I, are you okay? And I said, no. And grandmother said, looks like you're frustrated. I said, I am frustrated. 
she said, you know what? I know that feeling. It's a terrible feeling. But you know what I found out? That it's usually caused by an obstacle. And I go, yeah, it is. It is. There is an obstacle. She said, then I learned a way to look at obstacles that's kind of fun. And I said, obstacles fun? She goes, yeah. When I see an obstacle, I either go over it, under it, or around it. And all the time I'm spending this extra energy, it reinfuses what I desired in the first place. That's brilliant. So, so of um, of all the uh, the questions I could ask you, how did you continuously, or why do you continuously pursue this passion to change the world through music, through through entertainment? We have a mutual friend in Ken Cragen. He calls me back. Oh, when he was teaching at UCLA and he came up with his, his little series and I helped him get into the public speaking world, if you can believe it. Oh yeah. I his bet you assistant did. was one of the twin clowns from Barnum and Bailey, if you remember. And uh, Craig and I spent a bunch of time together and uh, he was the man. first one that really illuminated in my mind that you never retire. <laughs> you just refire because of your passion, because you're driven. So let me shift the question and ask you to give us a little historical background on we are the world. How do you conceive such a huge idea? And as you would say, actually believe that you can take action on it and turn it into a reality. Teach, teach us a little bit about that process and how you hooked up with Quincy and Michael and, you know, Lionel and everybody involved. Well, Ken Craig and I met when I did the Smothers Feather Show, which was my first sojourn into big time TV. I was a, I was one of the singers, you know, one of the group singers on the Smothers Feather Show, and what a lesson that was, you know. Uh, and Ken Craig and I've known each other since 1967. I love that man. Wow. And so, yeah, when the whole thing came to us, Quincy and I were working together constantly. We even had a company uh, that we scored pictures and. Um, he um, he called and said, I I got this new thing, come on over, and he told me about it. And so it started out with a team, you know, and you know the history of that. I mean, I don't need to tell you that. But so we got the song, Lionel wrote it, Quincy heard it, and said, I think Mike, Michael should kiss this, you know. And Michael loved it and did it. And so the, the song came out beautifully. And, uh, and then we, we started... Well, here's Ken Craig's, again, his genius. The reason that we're doing it when we do it is because of the American Music Awards are in Hollywood and all the stars are going to be there. Otherwise, how do you get them all, Yet, let alone in one room, you know? So, and Ken is, you know, he's the event, well, you know, his uh, hands across America. Go try to do that. You know, he, 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 he makes the, imp in fact, I think he says it, you know, I mean, he makes the impossible possible. So this is all flowing, beautiful energy going, and and uh, and Quincy said, uh, I want you to do the vocal arrangement. I said, cool. And he said, uh, I only have two requests. One is that Lionel wrote it first, then he gave it to Michael. And so I'd like for Lionel to sing the first line, there comes a time, you know? And I said, cool. And then he said, then I think Michael should sing the first chorus. And because Michael... Some people think that Michael and Diane are the same person. Put them both in, <laughs> put them both on the course, and they'll know that they're really two people. 
So, and she was like a mother to him, both a mother and a, they had the most beautiful relationship I've ever seen. It, 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 it went so, it went light years beyond what kind of relationship it is between a man and a woman, but it was the most beautiful thing ever. So he said, so I'd like her to, to sing, join him in the chorus. And then the rest of it sure is. And for, for me, it was like uh, jumping in one of those little blow up things when you're a little kid and a bunch of balls, you know, you just got everything. You have so many things around you. And, uh, but it, it took me all of maybe 30 minutes to do that vocal arrangement. And I'll tell you why, Dan, and this is what I'm talking about, listening. I knew I had worked with about half the artists anyway, so we knew each other. Not that that would really make any difference in this situation, but it was nice because I knew their proclivities as a human being. And I knew what each line meant. I knew that Steve Perry was made for this and the second chorus was all, was all the boss, you know? Oh, yeah. So, so, so all, I, all I had to do was listen to that. They all picked themselves out. And I swear, just I just wrote their names in the column, and that was it. It was done. Wow. Yeah. So, um, it, but it, it took a lifetime to do that, you know? One time, Picasso was sitting in a, in a cafe in Paris, and... A lady came in and says, oh, my God, Pablo Picasso, please just write something on a napkin for me. Do, do so. so he did, and he said, that'll be $5,000. She said, that took you three seconds to do it. He said, no, my dear, it took a lifetime. I love it. Absolutely. But yes. So as we wind down our time, let's talk about in your body of work, what do you personally believe is your most significant achievement uh and of course you you know i I know it's the partridge family but let's not spend a lot of time on that (laughs) actually the partridge family didn't mean a lot when we did it we had a ball yeah it was never you know we didn't know it was going to be a hit we were glad it was a hit we had a great deal going with the company so we made a lot of money they made a lot of money and and i love david cassia i love the whole cast they're just a cast of characters you know absolutely and so that was all cool. Well, I have I have favorites in, in many things. For the longest time, I didn't have an answer. But after we did We Are the World, that is the single most significant effort that I've been a part of. And my effort in it was fun. I mean, it flowed. It wasn't a problem. And, and uh, when you have, Quincy was the general of that thing. You know, when you have a general like Quincy Jones, you you follow him. I can see why people follow Napoleon, you know? I mean, Quincy's known Napoleon, but you know what I'm saying? That kind of dedication. I've known him for 50 years, and he has yet to say anything that isn't the truth. And And he's never, ever disappointed me with anything he said. I mean, it's amazing. I told him one night I was, we were just hanging. I said, Q, outside of my dad, you're the most important man in my life, you know? And he got a tear in his eye. Wow. That's him. So, uh, and, and he's involved in what I'm going to tell you next, because then songwriting, um, my most significant song to me is She's Out of My Life. Mm-hmm. Because most of the songs I wrote about through my intuition 
or the producer would say, like when I wrote Living in a House Divided for Cher, uh, Sonny said, okay, you know the song, uh, United We Stand, Divided We Fall. That's a, that's a political statement that's been made into a love song. That's what I want. So write something like that and then throw some kings and queens in it. Huh. That's, that's snuffy. But I love that because he gave me a big box to play in, but it was a box. So, and it was interesting because one of my best friends, well, we're in our sixth generation of friendship, our families. And, and, uh, and he had left his wife, was living with me, and we got along great. But all of a sudden, our girlfriends, it just became, you know, you can't have two queens in one house kind of thing. So all of a sudden, we were living in tension. And so that was on my mind. How do I deal with this? Because I love everybody involved. I don't dislike anybody, but the tension in this room, you can cut with a knife, and that's not what I want in my home. So it came to me living in a house divided. Oh. And I thought, well, there is your political statement. And then I, the kings and queens, you know, this is uh, the second verse is, look at us, the king and queen of emptiness, living inside our castle of loneliness. Well, we got that covered, too. Yeah, back basically listening to what you learned when um, the 26-year-old, 27-year-old-ish uh, lost her husband, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's just make sure this house stays glued together and not let it become a house divided. You're brilliant. Okay, so as we wind down, uh, when when Barbara Streisand, she's my wife's favorite artist of all time, and when she came out of retirement the first time, my wife and I, we were at Marvin Hamlish's wedding in New York City, invited mm. us. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. When he was the musical director for Barbara coming out of uh, retirement at the MGM Grand, if you remember, over a New Year's Eve. I do. And we sat right behind Quincy Jones, and his daughter was dating LL Cool J at the time. And I sat by, sat by Kadada, yeah, Coretta Scott King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s wife. So that was our little, that was our section, that was our row for the concert. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, give me a personal insight of working with, with Barbara Streisand, with, with Billy Joel, who are two just iconic, forever amazing artists uh you got any insight on what makes them so extraordinary More i think all the people that we've talked about share the same qualities and it's it's uh and your three p's cover it yeah. my formula covers it i think to me it's integrity i think integrity is the most important factor in a long relationship of any kind. And that's why I say in 50 years, Quincy has never said anything where I went, what the hell is that? You know, never. But we have it with our buddies, you know, we go, I didn't know you felt that way. That's weird, but that's okay. Cause you, you know, I have a beer with you or play golf with you or whatever, yeah. you know, but a close intimate relationship is, um, and, and when I found with Diana Ross, with Barbara Streisand, one of the best voices I've ever heard in my life, maybe the best. I loved working with her. And yet, and, and um, my brother was doing some vocal arrangements for her. This was on the Butterfly album. Oh. And, and um, you know, Barbara has the most beautiful hands in the world. Everybody I've ever heard talk about Barbara mentions her hands. And she's producing the session and we're doing the backgrounds and we're, we're out there singing and we come in and, 
and uh, she has her hands on, we call it the desk, but it's the board, you know. She has her hands on the board, and my mom said, when you notice something nice about someone, I, and I just learned, I said, oh, my gosh, you're the most beautiful hands I've ever seen. And it was, this came from my heart. It was the truth. And she looks up at me with the nicest smile. She said, why, thank you. And I know she had heard that a million times. But what came out of my mouth next, I was unconscious of, because I said, do they scratch backs? <laughs> and she said, why, yes, they do. Oh, and I said, well, mine's available. <laughs> and she got up from her producer's chair and said, sit down. Oh, and my scratched gosh. my back. And we sang, I think, five songs that night. And after every every talk back, she'd get up and I'd sit down. And she'd scratch my back. And I thought, that was a beautiful human-to-human experience. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. If I would have had any other thoughts, like, isn't this cool, Barbara Sarris, and scratching my back? You know, I, I almost don't like to tell that trouble because that this story, because, you know, you think that that's not the way I felt at all. It was just a beautiful. And then with Billy Joel, Billy Joel and 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 Barbara's honest. You know, if you want to know the truth, ask her a question. She can't say anything but the truth. You know? <laughs> and and with Billy Joel. When they called me, I said, why are you calling me, Billy? You're the best vocal arranger on your own songs. I can't, I can't do any better than that. And he said, well, no, I'm writing this. This one, he and Christy got together. It was the Innocent Man album. And he said, I'm writing to in the style of all of the genres that shape me. I thought, what a beautiful concept for an album. And he said, and I don't want to take the time. My, I don't want to take the energy to pour into doing a vocal arrangement for this, a vocal arrangement for that when I'm writing songs. And I said, okay, I get it. I get it. Okay, cool. So that was great. I loved it. Went back. And so he was writing the album as we're recording it. And uh, one day I'm talking to somebody, I'm leaning on the piano, which has this soft, you know, uh, cover on it when they're not being used. Talking to somebody who happens to be on the bench. And I feel this body come up next to me and stand next to me. And I look over his Billy. He opens up a spiral notebook and he writes for the longest time and he oh starts writing a lyric. So I know that this lyric is already in his head. You know, he's not thinking of it. This is, it, we don't even do that when we write a letter, Dan. We don't, we don't no. sit down and go, dear mom. We go, dear mom, I love you. I love you. You know, so, so he, Writes and I'm really in a conversation over it, but I'm just glancing and watching him work. I've not seen him do this, and it was very interesting. He turns the page. He doesn't write the title, but he starts the lyric again. And I notice with the word or two different. Wow. Turns the page again. Does the same thing. Word or two different. Turns the page again. I swear he did this 20 times. And he finally shuts the book and looks at me, and I'm like, <laughs> and he <laughs> says, what? I said, well, Billy, I'm a songwriter too, but you know, I understand, you know, I mean, when I'm writing a song, I say a word and then I think of something else. So I scratch that one out. He goes, oh, no, 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 I don't do that. I said, yeah, obviously. What? And he said, well, to, for me, to scratch something out sends a message to my subconscious that I've made a mistake. This is a process. Wow. Is that beautiful? Oh, wow. Yes. That's, these are the genre of people we're talking about. They're all individuals, 
and they all have their likes, their dislikes, their this and yada, you know. But I find that's what I what I love. Maybe why I'm so comfortable in that realm is because I was raised with that. I was raised with create. You know, if it talks to you, do something. Do something. And if you don't feel like it, that's okay too. Yes. You know? so let's what let's wind down our time. Yes, sir. Obviously, you've worked with with the most elite, the, the, the most talented, the most passionate uh, entertainers, songwriters, performers in the, in the world. And through the law of attraction, we don't attract who we want. We attract who we are. We attract what we believe we deserve. And obviously, we're not talking about some obscure name. We're talking about Barbara Streisand, Billy Joel, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones. One final question. Let me put you on the hot spot here, Tom. You have one hour to live. You have one chance to give a last lecture <clears throat> to leave to the world. What one quality do you think has attracted not just these amazing superstars to you and you to them, but to each other to create this highest level of songwriting, this highest level of performance? You know, there's a giant difference between you know, listening to Celine Dion sing God Bless America and a national karaoke champion, and they're singing the exact same song and hitting the same notes. So Amen. please, you've got to illuminate what is this quality that they all share that obviously you and Quincy Jones also share. So when you get in a room, there's no disconnect. It's always connecting at this highest level, producer, writer, performer, and all of the above. Passion. Passion for, you know, I've never done anything for money. I've, you know, I've done very well in that department, but I never did anything. I've never done anything for money. I do it because I, I believe that I'm the right person. And my dad used to say this. He said, this dream picked you, son. Wow. Yeah. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, to me, it means that nature, the universe, God picked me to deliver this to the human force. And, and it doesn't mean I'm special because we all have that quality. All we need to do is recognize it. And he used to talk about energies want to be recognized, even if it's a hanger, you know? And when we feel good about something, we say, thanks, man. Thanks for holding my shirt up, you know? I mean, it's kind of funny, but it's also a beautiful, what's wrong with that? What could be wrong with that? So I grew up with that, that whole thing, and I'm attracted to that. And all the people we've talked about today are like that. And I worked with Michael from the time he was 13 until his last studio recording. And, and never in 33 years did I hear a discouraging word from him. Wow. The yeah. middle daughter was in all the high school musicals, and especially high school musical too. So we as a family became friends with Kenny Ortega. Mm. such fans of Michael Jackson. We'd seen him live in concert a couple of times and had tickets for his, his tour in Europe, you know, oh, yeah. city tour right before he passed away. So yeah. that's one of my connections with you in a very interesting way. You know, I love that we have this musical connections, man. Yeah. That's cool. And oh, especially with Kenny. I love Kenny. Yeah. I've known him since another I was 18 years old. And another day we'll talk about Kenny Rogers and our connection with them. So I want to have you back, good brother. I don't like Thank you, Dan. I just 
I honor you I, on behalf of all my listeners. We love you. You're fascinating. You're a walking encyclopedia. You're a national treasure. <laughs> and it's been such an honor to just pick your brain. I, I want to have you back. But until we meet again, as I always conclude on my podcast, it's called Power Players for a reason, and now you know why. Thomas Baylor has helped us understand those timeless truths, those character qualities and character traits and core values that allow us to bubble to the surface of every single conversation in every single industry. And you just happen to be blessed to be that conduit from heaven to earth through music and entertainment. So God bless you. And it's an honor to, to call you friend. So as I always, I feel as I always check off, I say, just remember what Thomas Baylor has taught all of us today. And that is you need to go make a power play and the power play obviously is already inside of you. You just need to hang around with the right people who will trigger more passion, creativity, imagination, preparation and pursuit of that passion and creativity as we've talked about on Power Players. Thank you, Mr. Baylor, your majesty. You Thank you, Mr. Clark. Hunk of burning love. And we will connect <laughs> offline many, many more times to come. I great- look forward to it, man. This was such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. thank you, and thank you to all your people. Absolutely. God bless you. The views and opinions expressed on the Power Players podcast do not necessarily reflect those of KUTV or Sinclair Broadcast Group.